Welcome to Intimate Interactions, where we discuss ways we share intimacy with our fellow humans. Sex, kink, non-monogamy, love, relationships, gangbangs, no intimacy topic is too taboo. Let's talk. Today I'm interviewing my friend Olivier. He creates community, seemingly everywhere he goes, by creating events. Often those events center around various different kinds of games. When he first came into the Vancouver kink scene, he started a Vampire the Masquerade pen and paper RPG, which I had the pleasure of playing in. The person writing the storyline and essentially designing the universe is a person called a game master or dungeon master, often referred to as a DM or a GM. He also created Vancouver Geeky and Kinky, which was a munch, usually a discussion group, but in this case, a game playing group from which he has since moved on. Today, the VGNK, as it's known, is a thriving event all on its own, where people get together to play board games. While the underlying idea is that everyone playing is at some level curious about or interested in kink, my experiences there have primarily been ones of playing board games. There's something relationship-building in our brains when we experience fun, excitement, and curiosity. In a sense, there's something relationship-building about problem-solving with someone, even if you're not on the same team. So I've been thinking about relationships. How are they fun and exciting? How are they about solving problems? If you know you're on the same team, even when you're not trying to solve the problem the same way, to what extents can relationships be opportunities for problem solving instead of opportunities for suffering? Let's talk about intimacy with Olivier on Intimate Interactions. So I'm sitting here with Olivier Martin, a professional event manager, the creator and game master of Fallen Kingdom LARP, and um, you have 14 years DMing experience, is that right? That is correct, yes. Thank you for having me here. Awesome. Um, Thank you for coming. So I guess that makes you the perfect expert to ask about the intersection between gaming, relationships, and community. Oh, you flatter me. But I'm, 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 I can only speak from my personal experience, but I'll do my best to uh, help uh, elucidate any questions you might have. Awesome. So I'm interested in talking a little bit about relationships that develop in real life that you then augment with gaming. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think as gamers, it's something we, we like everybody else, try to seek connection in a lot of things we do. And I think it's, it's only normal that we wish to share a lot of the experiences of things that we really uh, feel strongly about. And I think that gaming is one of those things that really does, uh, that can really enhance uh, relationships when uh, everybody gets involved. Awesome. So sort of in the same way that if you watch a television show with someone and share an experience that might bring you closer together, so too might playing a game. Absolutely, absolutely. The the bonds of shared experience and uh, the stories that are acquired by people as they as they play a game or go out to to, to LARP for a weekend is really a unique and quite bonding experience that uh, is really hard to find anywhere else. Awesome. I find LARPing particularly interesting because you're there present with a person, but you're also not playing as yourself. You're putting on a persona. You're wearing at least a costume of personality, if not an actual costume. Absolutely. Well, I, I find that a lot of people tend to go as groups with, with the intent to collaborate. And so the, even the, the, the when you are putting on the outfits and deciding what kind of persona you're going to, to, to take up, the act of, of creation can in itself be quite intimate with someone and, and with your peers. And as you go out and interact with other people's characters, you get, you get intrigued by who they're playing, by their characters, by the, by the creativity behind them. And then you slowly get to know the people also behind the various roles and masks that people like to take up in those events. It's almost like you lead with shared experience and then slowly latch on to more of a personal relationship with someone. Is that? Yeah, absolutely. I think mm-hmm. that that's a very good uh, way to, to, to bring it together. Cool. So what about relationships that are de- developed exclusively in those games? If you're developing a relationship based on, oh, I've never met this person, the two of us are now involved in this gaming community. Um, Not to touch too much on communities, which we'll get to in a sec, but how does that work bridging that gap from having a relationship in a gaming capacity and trying to bring that to more of a personal friendship? Of course. Well, uh, uh, I think that many people, even listening to this podcast, will, will come to understand that you can still form very strong bonds with people you've never met. And uh, through through the common links of shared experience and in, in the various uh, 
you know, if you meet someone online and you've spent the last five years speaking with them, for sure you'll you'll get to be very close, and there'll be a routine or a pattern that'll be set in. Especially if you're a part of a of a guild or another organization based around gaming, these people become part of your routine, part of your life, and part of the way that you that you help uh, go through some of the hardships of of the various things, the various changes that uh, happen in life, and so they slowly become part of your support network, and that's quite easy to as people are, are present through difficult times it's it's easy to latch on to those people and and really view them as family i c- couldn't agree more when you say view them as family that's kind of touching on the idea of found family as different from biological family do you want to talk a little bit about found family absolutely i can do my best uh, to to, <laughs> dis- to discuss it as i've experienced it awesome um i've always found that found family is based on a variety of, of personal uh, criteria, at least for me. And a lot of that has stemmed around people's uh, willingness to be there for you or the reliability uh, in your life. So if ever I'm having a hard time, I know that my friends who are online will be there and ha- will be able to listen and provide support as best they can, whereas people who may be there in more present in my life in a physical way may not be as available, be it just uh, to have a conversation or even just physically available to bring comfort. And so you know, to know that every every Wednesday, blank person is online to, to, to and will listen to you, that can make a big difference. And uh, uh, to be able to to bring those people and get them close and, and truly build those relationships uh, does make a, a long-standing difference in people's lives. And I think that in our increasingly uh, media, social media-built world, we we will be finding that we can latch on more and more to people we've never met from a variety of different cultures, uh, ethnicities, and uh, places in the world that we would otherwise not have access to. Awesome. Yeah, I I really enjoy the found family that I've cultivated in my life. Okay, let's um, touch on intimacy. I'm interested to talk about how I think found family in many ways is quite intimate in terms of relationships that you have and the type of social support that you do in that sort of tight-knit social network. So I'm curious how how what what sorts of barriers to intimacy gaming poses and what sorts of ways gaming augments intimacy in a way that you wouldn't get outside of a gaming setting that's an interesting question um i feel that there can be some interesting power imbalances set in relationships based around gaming if somebody is in charge of a certain group or in charge of a certain game, um, it can be easy to be swept up by by the, their creativity or by a lot of the things that are happening. And then when people get involved, they're suddenly faced with the thing that the person who is running their hobby is also a, a big part of their personal life. And that can lead to conflicts of interest or even to people uh, getting the reverse end of the stick where somebody will be harsher on them because they do not want to appear to have a favorite. So that, that, that balancing act can be tricky. Um, not to mention that, especially when it comes to LARPing or things like that, where uh, a big part of your community is now integrated with this person, a lot of friends, it can also feel as though in the long term, a ch- if things go poorly, a choice will have to be made by your friends as to who to pick in in the in the case of a dispute, which is never never something that no. people should have to deal with in, in any sort of capacity. So it it can definitely have certain barriers of entry, and depending on where you are in the world, depending where, what culture you've been brought into, there could be other barriers of entry, uh, such as uh, gamers still have a problem with misogyny. Still have it, it, there have been groups in places where I've played in the past where people have walked up to me and asked me if they if I allowed a certain kind of person in my, in my group 
because they were traditionally not accepted in that area. Um, same thing goes to I've been, I've consistently been been hearing people, especially a lot a lot of young females, who have always heard about the games, always been interested to join the games and give it a shot because their partners, ex partners, or other people were it was important to them, but they were never allowed to see that 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 part of them, or never allowed to experience mm-hmm. that part of them alongside them. And so I, I always find it a little bit of a personal mission of mine to try to to spread the love of gaming to as many people as possible so that they too can can share that intimacy with future partners or with future people or the important people in their lives. I'm, I absolutely love that about, and, and I have been in games that you've run before. In fact, I believe you spread the quote love of gaming to me um, when it comes to um, pen and paper role-playing games. That was something I very much enjoyed. And I, and I have noticed how much you do view gaming as truly beneficial in people's lives, which is one of the reasons I wanted to interview you. I, I really appreciate that you took the time to to do this. I I think that my view of of gaming is not a very uh, rare one. I think that it it is definitely it is a way to be social on a regular basis with people who ultimately over time become fast friends and and pe- as having that regular schedule and continuously building these experiences with people, it's very hard not to get swept up in the feelings of joy or of accomplishment that comes with. Uh, defeating an arch enemy or or going through a storyline together and and the satisfaction that comes in completing a difficult objective and all that stuff even if there's any sort of animosity within as as different characters face off against each other even within the the same group the outcome can be satisfying if everybody's willing to almost like improv say yes and add and (laughs) and also just kind of partake in this in a collaborative effort because ultimately a lot of games Gaming is collaborative storytelling. A lot of it comes mm-hmm. down to sticking around uh, an old fire telling ghost stories. And it's very similar to that approach, other than the fact that now we, there is certain structures in place which allows us to tell stories with a certain set of rules or narratives, and that will allow us to, to, to build a more structured um, a more structured experience for people who are, who are willing to go out there and experience it. Awesome. You were mentioning power dynamics earlier, and I'm curious because that ties into the idea of community, and you just touched on bonding in small groups, and I can very much relate to the idea of going through a a really challenging situation with a group, and even if you don't come out victorious, there can be a lot of bonding that happens in surviving a horrific ordeal with, with some friends. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. The, the bonding experience could, can be wonderful. And I think there's many personal stories we both have over the years of many, many experiences which have, uh, which have brought us together from, from those challenges. Mm-hmm. So I've found sometimes that I personally feel stronger at problem solving in games than I do in certain elements of real life. And, I... Sorry, go ahead. You know, it's it's interesting because I've known a variety of people who who have who are not necessarily very social people. Uh, they they tend to be a little bit more reclusive, a little bit more uh, people who who like to spend time by themselves all of the time. Um, and they've used gaming as an opportunity to expand their social skills, especially when it comes to LARPing, where people can feel as though they're picking up a character. Uh, and, and sort of developing their social skills via the game. And that bring, gives them the confidence they need to go back to real life and face the problems that they would otherwise not be, be feel they have the skills to face. Uh, I've met uh, a variety. There's this one gentleman in particular who uh, used to, I met back in the day, many years ago. He, we were part of the same game, and he we, we became fast friends. And over time, he, he told me that when he had started out in the game, um, he, he definitely felt as though he was very vulnerable as a, as a human being, very... Uh, affected by the by the various things in his life by anxiety by stress and he the the person picked up a character that was essentially themselves placed in a situation and that gave them courage to go out there and gain the the social experience do the mistakes they wouldn't otherwise be allowed wouldn't allow themselves to make so that when they go back into the real world they now have the experience to proceed with these challenges and become stronger more confident individuals thanks to it 
That's great. I, I love the idea of personal growth in all of my areas of um, social interaction with other people, gaming included. Talking about that notion of being better in games than in reality, I'm curious about the achievement focus of a lot of games. And again, Jane McGonigal does talk about this a bit in her TED Talk, Gaming Can Make a Better World. But I'm also really curious to hear what you have to say about the achievement focus of games and how there is that idea of leveling and experience. And there is this tangible sense of I'm getting something for this session. At the end of the session, I'm going to get experience and that will inherently make my character better. I think that there is a lot of different people who play for a variety of different reasons. I think that the the, the achievement focus for some people can definitely be the the appeal. But as, I think as even the people we know in our own personal lives, there are some people who we know who are far more interested with the mechanics of how a game is run mm-hmm. and fi- finding every nook and cranny and exploiting that mm-hmm. and cracking that game and finding the satisfaction in essentially just beating a set of rules and well. There's other mm-hmm. people for whom the story and just doing things that are ridiculous or otherwise uh, <laughs> fun and, and, and sort of ludicrous tends to be the joy. Some other people prefer the the role-playing aspect and really get ingrained in character. And as long as they get their say in character with the, with the way that they want to interact, they are happy from in the way that the session will, will go on. So uh, to, I think to, to say that the achievement focus the step-by-step process of slowly grinding out levels and slowly acquiring things I don't think is true in terms of, of, of broad appeal certainly it mm-hmm. is it is a, a framework for how a game gets built but is it really a framework for for the expansion of, of personal growth or, or social dynamics within the context of your average gaming group I am not so sure that's fair I'm curious about if you feel like there's any possible addictive nature of continuously gaining experience in a video game and if that or in a LARP and if that impacts a person's ability to go out into the world and perform when they know they aren't going to be getting experience or achievements or unlocking any medals or trophies. I I, th- I definitely think that the the games are more and more with time becoming more complex as as we understand more and more about what gets gamers out there playing their games. Of course, there's going to be companies seeking to exploit the various ways in which the human brain works mm-hmm. and will try to make their games as addicting as possible. <laughs> but again, the ways in which the the human body reacts. Are, 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 are so varied mm-hmm. that you can't sure what will appeal to one target demographic right, will not right. necessarily appeal to another and the even though some people will find themselves stuck well they will need help um you know that there's a variety if you have, if you're going to be addicted to something ga- addicted to gaming is not necessarily the worst thing in the world sure. as far as i'm concerned um, it still means it still means that we were that there are people who will require a strong support network to help them slowly get out of a shell that they may have placed around themselves or a barrier they may have created amongst themselves. But I feel that the community, the online communities that that those people are part of, or otherwise the gaming communities that they are part of, should also be supportive of them in a way that encourages them to find the traits that they found in the game outside of the game mm-hmm. in 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 the in, in the world that we all share. Yeah, in terms of finding what we liked about a game in the real world, I'm curious about level-appropriate difficulty matching and how a lot of quests or challenges in games are sometimes sculpted to the user's abilities at that stage, whereas life often doesn't do any of that difficulty matching, and that kind of leaves um, gamers like myself, for example, struggling to figure out, okay, what's the gap and what tools and resources do I need to be able to bridge that gap to be able to do a thing in real life? Absolutely. Well, I think as I think that something that may relate a little bit more to that experience is I don't know if you've played some of the older games out there, the games that <laughs> did not give you any of that. In fact, didn't show you where you had to go on a quest map and those uh. sorts of things. And there's a lot of players for for whom they found that appealing. If you just look, sure. at, I've picked up Morrowind recently, oh, and the Elder Scrolls Morrowind. I tried playing it, but unfortunately, um, <laughs> the game has some age to it, and therefore the the some of the the UI I found 
very mm-hmm. difficult to navigate. And those those navigation issues made it to, to a point where I didn't really get to a point where I was enjoying my experience. But <laughs> the early gaming experiences that have ultimately led us to this point have been very focused like that, where there is no challenge-appropriate difficulty, where there is no... You, you just go out there and you have to explore, much like in real life, to find what is level-appropriate to you and in what ways you can go out there and find the, the challenges that are suited to your skill set. Because everybody has a skill set which is suited to, to different challenges, and everybody chooses to uh, level up certain skills. I mean, when you learn something new, you are leveling up yourself. If you're mm-hmm. going out there and spending time reading a variety of books, you are, you are increasing your ability not only to have conversations, but also to interpret the world around you. And so to, to say that there is not a leveling up mechanic in real life, there is, but you just I mean, you can you can even attribute that yourself. Create a chart and just go. I did this today. Well, that levels up this. You you can you can create sure. an, an equivalency that can be as fulfilling. Um, it just depends on on the lenses you wish to add to the world. And if you want to view the the world around you through a gaming focused lens, where you feel that your accomplishments are, are more meaningful to you if you attribute to them uh, an increase in statistic, then. Over time, you will see that growth in statistic because you have spent time applying yourself towards those problems. Yeah, I love what you had to say about gamification. That was actually something I was going to bring up. Um, Gamification often has to do with building that reward system or gamifying a process. So there there has been a lot of conversation around the gamification of online education. Um, Khan Academy was doing some work on this. There were some TED Talks about it. I think that's a really fascinating idea that we could apply some of the gaming mechanics that help people see progress to challenges that some people struggle with seeing progress in. Absolutely. Well, I I think many of us would agree that a lot of the ways that... when facing a new problem, sometimes taking it bit by bit can be the best approach, and finding an incremental progress can be the best way forward. And so, this gamification that you were that you were referring to uh, may, in fact, just be an excellent tool in in the means to incentivize people towards making those small steps, which ultimately help them improve themselves. Great. Talking about community more, just because I want to go back and and talk a little bit about the. Um the purpose the purpose of community and how how that functions but then also talking about the negative aspects but let's start with um the purpose of community and how communities of gamers benefit individual gamers you'd already mentioned improvement of social skills was one what other sorts of benefits would a gamer have finding a new gaming community and do you think those would be unique or different from any other hobby yeah, um, I, I definitely think that, that a social group built around gaming may not be so different as a social group built around more traditional institutions like church. You're still meeting somewhat regularly. You're still undertaking uh, a set of tasks together. And you're still sharing, be it food, be it information, be it bits of your lives together. And generally, that tends to go outside the gaming world as well. Not exclusively, but a lot of the times people will, will go on, diff- on separate servers uh, like uh, VoIPs or uh, voice uh, voice programs, which allow people to to discuss while they're playing. So not only are they playing and interacting online via the, the whatever game they're playing, they're also communicating normally almost like a phone call over these various pro- servers or other. Uh, programs which allow for coordination and for communication amongst people. So beyond the communication aspect, there's the support aspect I mentioned earlier about having the community to support you through difficult times. There's been many times where I've seen community members go through heartbreaking events in their lives, such as divorces or death, and having the community rally around them and even fundraise funds for the people to get back on their feet. Um, the community can also be, be helpful in allowing for the creation of, of large events, such just conventions where you could go out and meet a large variety of people with whom you have common interests. And th- that creation in, of events and in, in common interest helps uh, people in, in a variety of ways. It also makes uh, helps you plan out your future. It helps bring out um, events that you, you look forward to doing. And it also helps um, 
kind of the day-to-day process of, of living, I would say, as, as having the, that community around with you. Now, there's always the, the factor, as you mentioned earlier, that there can be some negative aspects to, to the community, and there's a lot of games out there, and I think a lot of people mm-hmm. who play games know this, that there is a variety of, of com- online communities where the game can, can simply be <coughs> ruined by people who are out there with the singular purpose to wreck everybody else's day, be it people who play the game to win exclusively to the, at the detriment of everybody else's enjoyment, mm-hmm. or people who go out there looking uh, looking to insult, troll, or otherwise harass people for for no good reason. And those things can really make or break an entire game. There's been a variety of, of games which have, have suffered those problems. Um, I know that I, I used to play Rainbow Six Siege a lot, and that community I've always found, with if I wasn't playing with my dedicated group of friends mm-hmm. on a game that I was already enjoying, that game became very toxic very quickly, and it became very unenjoyable because the moment you did a single mistake like, in, say, in, in old school games like Dota, where the moment you did a single mistake, everybody else jumped down your throat and told you to go home, it, it can be very, it can lead, big big barriers can be introduced to uh, players, not only his enjoyment, but their, their willingness to go through with the continuation of a game. And uh, having the support networks, especially when you're starting off into a new game, are very important because not only, mm-hmm. a, a lot of people have a lot of pride when, when they come in, into gaming, especially when they're new, they will they will tr- they will want to not feel as though they're dragging the team down right and th- so allowing people to feel safe in the exploration of of the game and of themselves while also giving them a nurturing environment is very important and if you prof- if you strip that away from them uh, you either are left with people who are very determined to learn the game and show those people wrong or people who ultimately um, become unhappy with it and, and become the very things that that, that they dislike in the game. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that you you brought up the idea of toxic gaming culture. And I also agree that having a close collected group of friends is a really good solution to that in the sense that you do kind of wrap yourself in a little bit of a protective layer. You also get all the benefits that you were mentioning of community, found family, inside jokes, etc. I was wondering if you knew of any other solutions for trolls or things that people might do if they were just getting involved with gaming and wanted to stay as away from trolls as possible. Do you have any solutions for them individually? Do you have any solutions as a GM when you're running a game and a troll enters your group? You know... I find that the, those sense of, of responsibilities, especially in real life, uh, it's a, it can be a lot more difficult on the online games where there are simply mm-hmm. no moderators. But when there is a moderator, it is important to let people know that the that these new uh, sort of behaviors are impacting the way you appreciate the game. And I think that mm-hmm. most people will be concerned enough with that that they, that'll be brought to actions. However, there are sometimes some some people who have already garnered some some favors from the people who's in charge or otherwise there's no structure to effectively deal with them with those people and it can be very hard to find ways to find any sort of common ground or even any sort of conversational standpoints with somebody whose only objective is to wreck your day um Sometimes it's better simply to remove yourself for, for the game for a while, or simply if there is a ban option, banning that person from from mm-hmm. the group. And hopefully, hopefully you as you keep playing games, you keep stumbling onto people who uh, are more agreeable, more fun. And you know what? There's something that I find that is that has worked very well for me is that when I do meet someone in a game with whom I've had a good time. Sometimes just the act of reaching out and asking if they would like to play the game in the future, regardless if you know them or not, can lead to these strong friendships. Not being afraid to reach out can sometimes be the difference between the enjoyment of the game and, and finding a community mostly to be toxic. Because overall, if if you find a hundred trolls, but you still find, you know, five to ten people in, in the hundred first matches that you're playing of a game, and you continuously play with those five people, if the rest of the community is toxic, but your group is fine, ultimately you're good. Yeah. I also liked the idea um, when talking about toxic gamers and that that whole environment that's not very supportive. I'm 
I'm speaking as a gamer that definitely played Heroes of New Earth and got told to go kill myself more than once by gamers that were really unimpressed with my performance, even when I was genuinely trying. I remember early StarCraft 1 as a, as a child when I was starting to play. <laughs> oh, man. I, those, I've, man. My parents banned me from playing that game because of how upset it would make me because people were yeah. simply... Uh, that, the anonymity of the internet can be a funny thing. It really can be. And uh, it's funny how it can bring some interesting points forward and some less interesting ones as well. Um, it's mm. just funny because I, I think that a lot of in real life gaming tends to get rid of a lot of that. Interesting. So LARPing doesn't have that problem generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there can be a large. There are going to be largely goes no matter where you go. There are always right. going to be people who want to run the game, run the game to their advantage, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. But there's still ways to play around that in real life, mm-hmm. and those people are less likely to come over and tell you to go kill yourself in yeah, real that's life. Right. Uh, generally, I've never had that experience in real life, and I think that. Probably most people won't have that experience, mm-hmm. even if you try to find your local your local community, or even just go to your local gaming store. See see what ads are up. There's normally a billboard that ad, that where people are asking for new groups or looking to join new games. And normally there is one night a week dedicated to pick up games where you can just walk in. Take a look, see how the game is played. You may not have the best storyteller, not the best experience at first, but if you enjoy the game, I, I would I would encourage people to to persevere because ultimately there are excellent people to be found there and uh, a lot of excellent connections to be made if you're willing to to again spend a little bit of an emotional energy. I think that the rewards are, are are quite palpable. Awesome. I so dealing with those less mature gaming communities. I think one really neat idea is sometimes they tend to be younger kids. They tend to be younger. And I think that can be challenging sometimes when you're working with someone who's 11 or 12 and has, um, say, racist parents. Um, and, and you're dealing with that sort of a situation. But that still is in line with making the world a more connected place, having more intergenerational friendships, like things that I think are typically positive in social communities. I'm curious what you think about that, about intergenerational gaming. I definitely think that there is a yes it, dealing with kids are, are also interesting people to to speak to younger younger players people who might mm-hmm. be less mature or less experienced with life you know it can be a little bit more difficult to have a rational conversation with them however i've i've had that success in the past where i i was faced with a 14 year old who was very pro american to the point of being harmful to some of the other players and uh surprisingly uh, they were open to to a discussion on the on the various viewpoints and uh, we we started off playing Playing a, a five-minute game, and our conversation lasted about three hours, uh, and we had a following by the end of people who were simply playing along in our team just to listen to the conversation we were having. That's awesome. And so, yeah, it, it can be really interesting. It can really lead to some interesting things. However, I understand that not everybody has the emotional energy or the time to go through with all of that, and it can be it can be a harrowing experience. Obviously, not everybody's willing to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, people grow up. People people learn. People get exposed to new things and sometimes just showing people that there is uh, a kindness in in there for them that there is an area where they can go where they don't have to feel that hate can be a powerful thing and there's also a, another thing it's i think that the, the the idea that a lot of the problems come from younger kids who don't know any better i think might be a little misplaced there are some That's parts right. in our in our community that still have the the 80s nerd sort of vibe if i may use that <laughs> that expression people sure. who feel that they are marginalized uh, should be marginalized and that anybody who comes in and tries to understand them or uh, or that anybody who's not part of that traditional spectrum of, of I'm going to say very male very sure. uh, basement gamer sort of attitude Got doesn't you. belong in that sort of space to which to which I say that's ridiculous mm-hmm. the times have moved on we've the, gaming has become mainstream to the point where we have a term called casual gaming and there are some people <laughs> who who frown upon that casual gaming for those who may not may not know is uh, it's generally just uh, gaming on a cell phone or just something that's mobile apps that sort of thing something that's mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that is more pick up and play more accessible doesn't necessarily have the difficulty curve or the time sync of a bigger game like world of warcraft sure. um 
and and so some people will will just go ahead and, and try to feel superior by just going i have the top of the line computer i have this <laughs> and that but ultimately you know i think we should all simply be thankful for the fact that we no longer have to be afraid that we're going to be get beaten up because we like a certain hobby or another i think the times have changed i think the technology has has, has brought forward um a more inclusive era of 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 understanding connection via gaming and i think that to to, to try and, and be regressive about it and, and, mm-hmm. and bring back uh, mm-hmm. some sort of dark age for some person's own uh, personal uh, sense of satisfaction is, um, yeah, let's say just morally uh, a little bankrupt, I would argue. Okay. Um, when we were talking about an- anonymity on the internet, I think that's a fascinating area of discussion. I think it also promotes a certain vulnerability where people are willing to be more vulnerable about more intimate details because they don't need to worry about the fallout of that information hitting their social circles in real life. You know, it's funny. Uh, I don't know if, if you, there was a time where my parents used to tell me, Oh, look out on the internet. You know, there's a lot of strangers out there who right. want to harm you. Right. And, you know, there's all these creeps and all these, these terrible things. Mm-hmm. You should not be divulging your personal information out there. And obviously, I would strongly suggest that nobody give out their credit card information to anybody who's asking for it. But besides that, there is there is that feeling that you're talking to, to, to strangers who you may not meet again. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can create a sort of freedom or liberation from a variety of, 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 of feelings and in, in other insecurities that a person may have and may lead to uh, a very uh, cathartic experience in, in, in regards to uh, the divulging of personal information, which may lead to epiphanies and, and lead to personal growth. Awesome. In terms of the potential for social change, we're talking about personal growth. I'd, l- growth. I'd like to shift a little more into community growth. In terms of potential for social change, we were having a conversation recently about Battletech and how Battletech allowed during character creation, one, for you to pick from a lot of people of color, which I actually really liked as a person of color myself, um, but also the, to potentially use gender-neutral pronouns, which I remember being super excited for, and... I chose that option and I was just really grateful that it was allowed at all, that that was something that was even considered by the, by the game developers. I recognize that part of that may have been a social trend, that they may have been perceiving a social trend and, and jumping on it. But I also think that games have a lot of potential to change communities and to shape the way we interact because in a sense, games govern the rules by which we interact, at least on a, like a mathematical level. So I was curious what you thought about the use of games for social change and whether or not games always either uphold the status quo or promote social change or whether you don't think games are necessarily involved in shaping I think the best way to, to, to answer this question is to view games as a medium for art. Art mm. is always a place where, where social change gets brought forward, where edginess gets pushed, where social mores get brought, get brought forward. And art will always be a way, for, the, for an avant-garde way, to test the boundaries of where we are in terms of social mores and social responsibility. So game, there's plenty of games that keep pushing that limit all the time. I mean, just look at uh, the new South Park game, where the difficulty of the game was tied onto skin color really oh yeah like the whitest you are that the, the easier the game became that's actually a really powerful statement it was a one yeah and you should see the shock on youtube just look it up and the amount of gamers <laughs> who who do not know how to react to such a such a potent statement i mean ultimately that game was was great it was not the first the first south park game was mm-hmm. amazing that second mm-hmm. south park game not as good but still worth worth exploring um so yeah there's there's plenty of social commentary to be had and whether you agree with it or not i think that the the ability to have those discussions and see those changes in triple a game um only makes sense as an art form on top of that i i think that even on forums for a long time we've been allowed to customize our avatars we've been we've been allowed to customize what we look what we wear what we what we bring forth what weapon we use what what sort of things our characters like to possess or what our backstories are we can create all of this so why why has it taken uh, so long for certain franchises to accept the fact that maybe some more customization in regards mm-hmm, to look mm-hmm. or allowing their the, the, their players to feel a little bit more comfortable in the main character's skin? I don't see any problem with that. Never have, uh, and I don't think I ever will. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's interesting to note that like any community, gaming communities can also have issues with misogyny or racism, ableism, etc. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not going to be arguing with that. Yeah, sure. Um, and I definitely know that there are going to be pockets of the gaming community that tend to be more ensconced in this or that. Um, I've definitely heard that there are some more white supremacist LARPing groups out there. Um, I don't know if you have any comment or if that's something that you as a white person experienced or saw. Um, I can't say I've seen anything blatant, but then again, I mean, I, there is a lot of stuff sometimes that just goes right over my head. A lot of, especially a lot of movies that in retrospect, I look back and just go, eh, that wouldn't fly today. And I don't think I I can, I can really appreciate this movie as much as I used to. But uh, that that being said, there's always going to be bad, bad eggs out there. There's always going to be groups who wish to push their own agenda or who, who wish to make people feel uh, lesser than, than they truly are. There's always going to be that, that, uh, that sort of movement at the moment anyhow and i think it's 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 good to try to identify where those groups are and just use common sense and just try to, to stay away from those people and just simply try to um you know not be involved with with such groups i yeah. think ultimately uh allowing them to do their own thing in their own little corner and be forgotten is the best way forward for there <laughs> well i won't comment on strategies because i haven't really given it a lot of thought specifically but i kind of wanted to toss that question out there just because it is something that i have heard so well you know uh, there is a lot of misogyny out there uh, mm -hmm. there is continuously a lot of misogyny i, I will I, i'm from canada i've i've uh, seen a lot of misogyny in certain other parts of the country which will have a little bit more traditional uh backgrounds mm -hmm. uh especially toward you know especially in the case where i was uh further east in, in the in canada and there was definitely a lot more there uh but that being said there the LARPing community out there was also huge, and I found that there was a lot less of it in the LARPing community because the LARPing community out east had a far greater percentage of women in it. We're talk, we're talk, normally, uh, I would say that on the average gaming group that I see, in a group of about five people, there's generally about one uh, female presenting person however when i went to a to to events out east in terms of larping at least i can't speak for tabletop which is probably still more male oriented uh there was about a 40 to 60 percent female presenting attendance rate wow which uh changed everything and I mean, the way that the, the, the stories were written, the way that, that the perspectives of different characters were brought forward, the, ways, the, the roles that they picked up or chose to pick up within the game's world affected the game in such a positive way. I cannot stress just how important it is to have various viewpoints in your game because if you have everybody who plays the same way, it can be, it can be good, it can be fun, but it can also be limiting. You can, you can come and face the same problem and, and solve it the exact same way a million times but you'll i think that you'll find over time that to be less fulfilling than when you have someone that just goes hey have we actually tried just turning the doorknob instead of breaking it open <laughs> and sometimes those moments are just the moments where everybody stops and just goes hey i haven't thought of that before maybe this is something new we should explore more often and that leads to awesome. new things yeah awesome so you were talking about different gaming formats like tabletop versus LARPing versus computer games. I was wondering if you have a favorite gaming format. I know it's probably bad form to ask you to pick favorites, but I'm curious if you have like a top three or if you have a favorite that has a special place. Well, uh, to pick favorites, I think is a little rough, but uh, I will say that I think that the game that is the games that have done the most for me have been tabletop RPGs, and I'm going to elaborate why. The, the tabletop aspect has been affordable f for a very long time. It doesn't require a whole lot of money to get in. It does require a lot of research, though, and I had plenty of time as, as a person growing up with very few friends due to a variety of, of social issues. Um, and as a person who spent a lot of time then writing and learning and reading, uh, having the ability to simply just go, hey, I've got something cool and interesting that everybody does. I have a skill that I can 
can offer to people, a skill to bring people on adventures, skill to bring uh, interesting new things in, in the comfort of your own home for very little money. Because let's face it, going to the movies is fun, but it's expensive. It's like, I don't, around here, it's about like $20, $25 just to go see a movie. When you can spend, you know, for the price of like two movies, you can get a book and a set of dice and you have unlimited movies. And so uh, in terms of growing up with not a lot of money, that, that was a nice way to simply gain adventures, be social without necessarily being plugged into electronics all the time, which pleased my parents greatly. And um, <laughs> also allowed for, for the development of not only social skills, but a lot of basic math. Because when you roll a lot right. of dice, you make a lot of quick calculations rather quickly, and that helps. I, I'm sure if we, if, if, we made the, if we helped young people get into that, their math skills would go up uh, Quite a bit. Yeah, then an interest in math might go up quite a bit. Yeah, I would believe that. Do you have any favorite games? I know you mentioned that some of them do have have done more for you than others, and I'm I'm curious. Other than I feel like Van- Vampire the Masquerade might be might place. You know, it's funny. I have a very uh, there's a there's a tabletop game by the the company White Wolf. Uh, it was started off in the '90s, about, and uh, it's a very dark world, very depressing world, full of of, of very deep and f- philosophical topics of discussion which sort of weave themselves in all of their games with a lot of contradicting information. But um, I found that there's so much depth. There's so much interest in exploring the themes of those games that it that it, you can allow it to to be molded in whatever way you want to take it you don't have to take the way that the books tell you, you don't you don't have to take it the way that that the, the the books tell you that certain social groups act a certain social way and it gives you it gives you a, a very strong base to build a variety of other stories if you wanted to um and and you know what using using a player's own knowledge of something very set and turning it against the player uh, may can be very fulfilling and very interesting even to the player who um, takes something who who is very a topic that is very established and may find themselves again the whole doorknob thing where you just kind of look at something old and make something new out of it. Um, I think there's, there's that world has a lot of potential for that and has a lot of, of meshing themes, which suit my, my personal preference and my personal style of GMing. Cause that's something I don't think that a lot of people talk about just because you're a GM doesn't mean you can run anything or everything. You, right. people have certain styles, people have certain, uh, storytelling things it's, it's it's like reading a story authors have a different way of telling different stories and not every author could pick up a sci-fi and then write a biography the next um everybody's got their own style their own interest and it's also about finding the stories that appeal to you and finding the people that appeal to you and finding the the the, the sort of stories that you want to be involved in still reflecting on what you just said stories that you want to be involved in um, as as you know, I'm considering running one of my own games as a fledgling GM shortly, so I'm mulling a lot of that over in my head. I'm curious to hear about your recommendations for games, what you think would be your pick for people who are just looking at getting involved, maybe want to touch on some casual gaming. I mean, that's kind of self-explanatory with apps, but what about if they want to get involved in social gaming? How would you recommend they go about doing that? Sure. I I think that there's so many interesting games out there with such a sheer variety of 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 focuses. There's a lot of puzzle games out there that are quite excellent. There's a lot of story-driven games that are quite excellent. There's a lot of games that if you just want to go out there and blow something up, you can do that in quite spectacular fashions. <laughs> the, the the ways that the that technology have brought forward in the, in the variety of storytelling elements we've been able to bring forward in the last decade have been astounding and there's a little bit of everything for everybody if you're looking if you're willing to search now if you're getting away from the video game genre because a lot of it can can be there's just so much choice out there just go to your local gaming store and start talking to people about what they like and you'll be inundated within minutes um i think the tabletop one can be a little harder because there's so much rules i don't you've seen the books i have yes. they're 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 thick they're two three hundred page volumes they're just yes. filled with a variety of of inane and difficult <laughs> you know text esoteric and, lore exactly and it can take it can be very forbidding 
for someone who's just starting off to uh, really get a grasp of that. So if, if you don't have a local group or a local person who runs games and you're thinking about potentially starting your own, I would suggest that you get started on what I call generally the basics, which is pick, go to your local group or your local bookstore or whatever and pick up a copy of the fifth edition of Dr- Dungeons and Dragons. Sure. It's fairly simple. It's classic and allows you to build a lot of classic storylines. It allow, it gives you all the basics you need so that you can start with time and with comfort going off the rails. You will be reading a lot, but the new system is a lot simpler than it used to be. Essentially, it's roll dice, add it to whatever stuff your character has, which is normally one number. And then you see if what you're doing is difficult, like trying to walk on molecules of oxygen, at which point you roll twice and take the lowest number, or doing something easy like walking um, on on a, a, a rope bridge that is fairly stable. Then you would roll twice and take the bigger number of the two. And that's essentially what the, the, the big meat of the system runs to. And you can put yourself through a variety of situations, even by just going, okay, we are roll, we are now doing this pod, we are now doing this podcast. Is it going well? Well, <laughs> let me, we just roll a die, add the bonuses to, to, to what we normally have in our oration skill, and then proceed to see just how we do. And then the rest will all have to be with marketing roles and i'm not too sure if we have a advantage or disadvantage there i think we definitely have a disadvantage there that is um that is all i have for you in terms of the interview portion i'm curious is there anything you'd like to add about gaming or any topics you'd like to discuss I, I feel as though this this conversation has been quite productive. I've, I feel maybe I've been a little bit uh, uh, too impassionate in, in in some of the ways that I've spoken. But you know what? I find if you've even ever been remotely curious about trying a game, I would strongly recommend that you you try to find your local community because I guarantee you that it's out there. I was an I, I grew up in a small town of a couple thousand people, and within that town unbeknownst to everybody else uh there was about five or six groups of dungeons and dragons meeting every week playing but every everyone in those groups thought that they were the only group in town (laughs) so ask around don't be afraid uh go out there and even just put an ad in in your local newspaper sometimes that can yield results that's how i met some of my first gms who were people who started playing in the 80s and never had picked it up again but wanted to and so you can find maybe not uh, the newest people but you can find people who have your interests share your interests or have heard of the game and really want to get started and so there's I would I would strongly recommend you do there there's tons and tons of opportunity for fulfilling exploration for lots of fun for casual and very cheap and uh, entertainment and a lot of endless hours of strong connections and new friendships to be made and I think that's if if, if anything is going to be taken from this podcast as I think that the, the, the that there's gaming has so much more to offer in connection uh, between us, uh, between people, than it does uh, to bring us apart. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Olivier, for being my guest. It was my pleasure. Anytime you want to have me back, uh, I'll be uh, somewhere nearby looking at some books. (laughs) Wonderful. So how did you like it, Intimates? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions or go straight to the Patreon group at patreon.com slash victorsalmon. Both are easy to find from intimatepodcast.com, so what are you waiting for? Go join the free Intimates community and start connecting with others. I'll see you on there. Attribution. The intro music was Unbury Your Heart by Siobhan Decay, and the outro music was Dancing with Fire by Daniel Birch. Disclaimer. I apologize in advance if something I say discriminates against some folks or is highly problematic. I'm open to being called in. I'll probably look back in future and see something I'm not proud of. I'm not perfect. I'm certainly trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. And along that line, I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the land on which I live and play, the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories, specifically those of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Sawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, 